Sinister greetings, everybody. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers podcast part of your day. Those tunes you just heard are, as always, courtesy of the amazing Bobby Mackey. And, of course, I am your host, Tessa Morrow. Peanuts and Cracker Jacks. Hot dogs and beer. Cheering and rooting. Jumping up with excitement. Celebrating. <laughs> Happiness and joy. Smiles all the way around. Major League Baseball, my friends. You know, while in my adult years, I'm not much of a fan. But as a child, I would accompany my father to many Dodger games. And as a teen, one Rockies game. While I don't really remember anything about the Dodger games because I was so young, I do remember that during the Rockies game, it began to pour rain. And I remember watching in awe as they immediately covered the field ever so quickly. It was really an impressive sight for sure. People, they were running. You know, you you thought that the floods were coming or something or that something was on fire or they never experienced rain before. They were running to buy expensive gift shop umbrellas. I remember that as people ran, I just kind of stood there and watched as they covered that field with precise and spectacular speeds that would have made Speedy Gonzalez, or Wile E. Coyote's nemesis the Roadrunner, extremely happy. Anyways, that's about it when it comes to me and baseball. You know, there is something about curses that just absolutely intrigues me. It fascinates me. They pique my curiosity. So when I had heard about the curse of the Bambino years earlier, I knew that one day I would be doing an episode about that. And guess what, you guys? That day, it's today, baby. Oh, yeah. Curse of the Bambino. George Herman Ruth, better known as Babe Ruth, or as Sandlot Scott Smalls calls him, Baby Ruth. You're killing me, Smalls. Best line ever, a line we often say in my family. So there we have it. Babe Ruth was a man that was known as many different nicknames, such as the King of Crash, the Great Bambino, the King of Swing, the Sultan of Swat, Behemoth of Bust, the Colossus of Clout, the Prince of Pounders, the Total of Terror, the Big Bam, and Herman the Great. And guess what, you guys? He was. He was great. He was spectacular at what he did. The Bambino had an impressive 22 long years with the Major League Baseball. His first year being in 1914 and his final being in 1935. He starts off with the minor league as a Baltimore Oriole. But that doesn't last very long at all, as he finds himself with the Boston Red Sox. And just five years after he joins the Major League, he breaks the MLB single-season home run record in 1919 with an extremely impressive 29 home runs. 
The behemoth of Bust was part of an elite group called the Murderer's Row, which consisted of Babe Ruth, of course, Lou Gehrig, Bob Musil, Earl Combs, Mark Koenig, Tony Lazari, and many, many others. While playing against the Washington Senators in 1927, the Yankees beat the Senators 21 to 1. Like, ouch. <laughs> Talk about going home with the, your tail between your legs, am I right? First baseman for the Senators, Joe Judge, would say this, quote, Those fellows not only beat you, but they tear your heart out. I wish the season was over, unquote. Now, mind you, during this time, Babe Ruth was with the Yankees. Herman the Great would stay with the Yankees for 15 years, and together they would win seven American League pennants and four World Series championships. But as we know, before he was with the Yankees, he was with the Red Sox. Things were going really great with the Red Sox, and the Prince of Pounders being part of their team helped, definitely. <laughs> now, believe it or not, it was the year of 1919, the very same year that the Big Bam breaks the home run record that Red Sox owner Harry Frazee sells Babe over to the Red Sox nemesis, the New York Yankees, for a whopping $125,000 along with a $300,000 loan, which he would use to pay Fenway Park's mortgage and staging the musical No No Nanette. Should have been called No Mo Bambino, No Mo Wins, or Bye Bye Ruth, Bye Bye World Series. It seems like the MLB owner's priorities were rather bungled. Why the absolute hell? especially right after breaking that record, would Harry sell the Colossus of Clout over to the team that they absolutely despised, the Yankees. I sincerely hope his Broadway musical was worth every penny because, man, his team was in for some miserable years after selling the Bambino. Decades upon decades of losses and misery and disappointment. While there was no ignoring it, Babe Ruth and the Yankees, they were soaring high. I could only imagine what the fans were thinking of as this was all taking place. If you're a sports fan, I don't care if we're talking about football, baseball, basketball, whatever you are into, you are guaranteed to be excited at times and downright disappointed and mad other times. There are going to be calls that you don't agree with and that you're upset about. And then there's going to be times where you celebrate the hell out of a good win. And you'll be sulking too at times. You may be disappointed when your team no longer has one of its best players. I am sure almost every single Patriots fan was devastated when Brady decided to go to the Buccaneers. I never got used to seeing that dude in a Buccaneers uniform. I don't know if that's just me, but I thought that was kind of crazy. Not that I'm a huge fan or anything, but my boyfriend sure is. Now imagine how the Red Sox, their fans must have felt as they were doing phenomenal, kicking some major ass, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, but then suddenly they get rid of the king of crash and they go into an extreme dry spell. Like flatlining, basically. Whether you believe in superstitions or curses, you have to admit that it is absolutely bonkers how good the Red Sox were doing. As before, there was the severe drought, 
they were extremely successful, getting World Series titles in 1903, 1912, 1915, 1916, and 1918. And then as soon as Babe Ruth is sold to the New York Yankees, it was like a landslide takes place. And guess what, you guys? The only ones affected in this landslide was the Boston Red Sox and their beloved, loyal fans. It's one thing if, okay, we have a crappy year or two, or okay, even a decade, right? But man, this supposed curse lasted 86 years. Whew! That is quite a severe drought. It is this move alone, the selling of Babe Ruth, that in many people's minds is the reason why this curse of the Bambino exists. Definitely not a good time during 1918 until 2004 for the Red Sox. Not a good time at all for the players or the fans. But for the Yankees fans, they were on top of the world. While the Red Sox were fish flopping on dry land for 86 years, the New York Yankees, who would not win a World Series until 1923, by the way, yep, 100 years ago, well, they are absolutely thriving. During the 86 years, the Yankees would go to play 39 World Series, winning 26 of them, and it is during this drought for the Red Sox, they had only played in four World Series, but lost each and every one. And there were dry spells between each World Series, the first being in 1946, and it wouldn't be until 26 years after the Colossus of Clout was sold. The second would be 21 years later in 1967. The third will take place eight years later in 1975, and the final would be 11 years later in 1986. Then fast forward after the 86-year curse, they would win the World Series in 2004, 2007, 2013, and 2018. In 2004, at the bottom of the fourth, between the Red Sox and the Anaheim Angels, a ball finds its way into the crowd. An excited young man reaches anxiously for it, and he ends up getting hit right in the face and knocked out his two front teeth. He was there, happy times, celebrating a friend's birthday, and he even shared that he arrived in a limo, but he left in an ambulance. Everyone felt absolutely horrible about the situation. He ended up with the ball, thank God. It was a bloodied ball, mind you, but nonetheless, he ended up with it, so that's awesome. They even had it where later on Manny Ramirez would sign it for him. What's crazy is the 16-year-old who got hit in the face at the time of the accident had been living in the Bambino's old home. Like, how crazy is that? Many Red Sox fans, they just refused to believe in the curse. Even though their team, who once had been thriving, now seemed to be in what some may consider a coma. The Boston Globe would release a statement that Stephen King had said back in October the 2nd of 1995, quote, There is no curse of the Bambino. I, who was writing about curses and supernatural vengeance, tell you that it's so. 
The Red Sox have been victims of an extraordinary run of luck. That's all. Unquote. I have to disagree with Mr. King, who I am a fan of. I absolutely love his work, movies and books. I mean, I love everything about it. Pet Cemetery is one of my favorites. It, at least the original with Tim Curry, Christine, The Green Mile, and so much more. But just to say that it's an extraordinary run of bad luck, that's wacky. Sorry. John McKeon, on the other hand, who had batted right for the Kansas City Royals, the Oakland Athletics, San Diego Padres, the Cincinnati Reds, and the Florida Marlins, did believe in the curse, even writing a little booklet about it. He printed 1,000 or so copies, and he handed them out in front of Fenway Park on opening day in 1987. This is obviously when the supposed curse was in full force, and in that booklet, he wrote this, quote, We'll never win. We'll never be free of this warped, evil cycle. This is the curse of the Bambino. Once a fan accepts this fate and understands the cycle, he can make peace with himself and accept any losses, any disappointment, because he knows it is coming. Boston Globe writer Dan Shaughnessy wrote this, quote, My theory is that the sale of the greatest baseball player ever to the hated Yankees happened because of a curse by an orphan child from Baltimore. I remember the day I first said that. I gave a speech and said, Until they exhume the body of Babe Ruth and publicly apologize for selling him to New York, the city of Boston will never win a major baseball championship. Unquote. As a young man, life threw some curveballs Babe Ruth's way. Out of nine children, only two, that being the Sultan of Swat and his little sister Mamie, would survive infancy. His father was often busy with his saloon, so he wasn't able to really keep an eye on Junior. And in adulthood, he would later admit that he barely went to school, and he would drink beer when his dad wasn't looking, which... When your dad owns a saloon, I guess that's not really too hard to achieve. Some violent encounters took place at that saloon, and it was deemed unsafe for a young boy to spend time at, and he was soon sent to a reformatory and orphanage. And while he was not an orphan, I can only imagine that Ruth must have felt like one, as his mother dies when he's only 12 years old, and in the orphanage at this point, and his father barely visited him. He must have felt so alone in this world. Your heart has to go out for him, even if you're not a fan of Babe Ruth or the Yankees or anything like that. I mean, that's just so crappy. It was during his time as a baseball player that I believe it was around 1924, during spring training, he collapses in Asheville, North Carolina. He's taken back via train to New York where he's hospitalized. He was severely overweight and he wasn't doing that great. Somehow word got out that he had died. Even a few British newspapers print out a premature obituary. He did not die though, obviously. Well, 
He lives to see another day, and he lives to collapse another day. He collapses this time in his New York hotel room's bathroom, where he had multiple convulsions. In 1925 and 26, that being in the off-season, of course, he dedicated his time, effort, and energy into getting back into shape. When he returns in 1926 for the season, he batted 47 home runs. It was really then when the Yankees' murderer's row was born. And time did indeed run out for Babe Ruth, August 16th. 1948, when he dies due to cancer in New York City. For two days, his body lay in state at the main entrance to Yankee Stadium, and thousands upon thousands of people stood in line to pay their respects to the Sultan of Swat. This week's special city shoutouts goes to Hallsville, Texas. Manila, Philippines, Monk's Corner, South Carolina, Azusa, California, Nine Mile Falls, Washington, and Aloha, Scotland. And I know I said that wrong. I apologize. Queen of butchering names. (laughs) As always, everybody, thank you so much for stopping by. It is severely appreciated. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Listen to the others. They are all awesome. Haven't heard every single damn one yet? (laughs) Really, there's no need to fret. You can binge listen right now to your heart's fright and delight (laughs) by batting at any of those podcast platforms, such as Apple Corps Media Library, Spotify, Podcast Republic, Downcast, Luminary, Basically, wherever you may roam to listen to your other spooky podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers podcasts lurking in the background. Thanks, everyone, and I will see you next week.